0: If somebody would say Rambam, Maimonides, what association would you have? I highly doubt that most people would associate the Rambam with mysticism. It's more likely that you'd think of him as a great philosopher, having written the Moriah The Guide to the Perplexed, which tackles very thorny issues of philosophy. You might well think of him as a medical person because at the time he was a renowned physician and he served royalty, and some of his principles on health are still studied and applied until today. As Jewish people... The greatest achievement we attribute to the Rambam is his contribution to Jewish law. Up until the time of the Rambam, if you wanted to study law, you would have to wade through pages and pages of the Talmud, which work in a very organic and almost debate fashion, until eventually you could extract the practical application. The Rambam came up with a code. We'll do this in, a, in a, an organized fashion. Everything will be indexed. Everything will follow a particular order. And it's easy to study and to identify and to research. That's what we know the Rambam to be. Most people would not associate him with mysticism. Yet, if you look right at the beginning of his work, ironically, of Jewish law, you discover Rambam the mystic. The opening paragraph of the first book of law, where, of course, you'd expect it to talk about laws, actually speaks about deep mystical concepts. It begins with the words, v'amud The foundation of all foundations. And the pillar of all wisdom. Incidentally, those four words are carefully chosen because the first letter of each of those words spells out the name of Hashem, Yud and He and Vov and He. So, what is the pillar of all wisdom? What is the foundation of all foundations? He says, "Leida, To know Motsui Rishon. To know that there is an original existence, an original entity, which you and I would describe as God. And from that he goes into a conversation of what God is and how God operates. So the first thing we need to know about God, he says, is that Hashem is the original existence. Nothing else that exists can claim such a thing. Everything else was created. Everything else at one point did not exist and now it does exist. And the implication of that is that at some point in the future it will no longer exist. Whereas Hashem does not have those limitations. He always was. And therefore he says, every single thing that does exist, that we can identify, that we can speak of, must come from that original existence. And he says these words, if Hashem, that original existence, was theoretically not to have existed, then nothing else could be. In other words, Everything that exists in the world has to have something that made it, has to have something that it came from. Whether you say it's creation, whether you say it's a chain of events, whether you say it's a Big Bang, it actually doesn't matter. It's all the same philosophy. Something caused it to happen. But there always has to be, logically, an original cause. So if not for that original cause, if not for Hashem, nothing else would exist. Whereas on the other side, if nothing would exist, Hashem would still exist. In other words, what he wants us to understand and appreciate before anything else is that we are completely reliant on him. We didn't choose to exist. We didn't choose to be created. In fact, we didn't even choose to wake up this morning. That's completely his prerogative. We are totally reliant on him. And he is completely unreliant on us. When I say us, not just people... He's completely unreliant on the entire universe, including all the great spiritual beings. God is because he is. We are because we have a purpose to serve. And if we don't serve that purpose, perhaps our lives are not necessarily worthwhile. God is because he is. And he uses the expression borrowed from the Torah, which says, Ein oid mil vadoi. There's nothing other than god that means to say there is nothing else that is real there is nothing else that exists for its own sake besides god everything else is transient and there to serve a particular purpose over a particular period of time good morning it's time for some midweek mysticism today we're going to look at a phrase or actually a word that we use commonly in our prayers and generally in judaism and we take it quite for granted so let's look at it from a mystical perspective, and that is the phrase Elokeinu, our God. For example, you say a you say Baruch ato Hashem, Blessed are You Hashem, Elokeinu, our God. Or we say in our prayers, Elokeinu veElokei Avoseinu, our God and the God of our fathers. Or as we say in the Amidah, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov. It's a possessive term that we use to refer to Hashem and we get the idea from Hashem himself because in the opening line of the Ten Commandments, the great revelation where Hashem personally addressed the entire Jewish nation, there he said, I am Hashem, God, Eloikecha, your God. He's the one who applied the possessive expression to the term God. So what does it mean when we say that? Most people will tell you, look, there are various spiritual paths, various religions, different perceptions of what God is, different names that people may apply to God. This is nu, this is our God, the Jewish God, to the exclusion of other gods. And that's probably valid, but it certainly doesn't take us to the depth of the meaning of this phrase. The mystics tell us that when you can apply a possessive term to something, mine, that doesn't only mean that you have a relationship or connection with it it means that it is part and parcel of your reality Hashem is infinite Hashem is completely beyond our reality not only beyond our reality beyond all reality if you had to climb up the spiritual ladder and enter the higher lofty realms the realms of angels of what we call the Chayos Hakoidesh, the Oifanim, the Seraphim all of which are very advanced spiritual creatures In those realms, they have a deep appreciation for just how profound Hashem is and how beyond their reality He is. To the point of course that they recognize that they cannot come close. They would never refer to Hashem as ours, our God, because they appreciate that God is lofty and exponentially removed from their reality. So if you look at any of the expressions that we have of angels and how they refer to God, it's always at arm's length. Kadosh, 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 holy, 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 Hashem Tzvo'os is the Lord of Hosts. Those hosts that they're referring to is actually themselves. The, The angels are talking about themselves, but they don't speak about our God. This is something uniquely reserved for the soul, inner body, experience. Only we are given permission to say our God. Because the implication of our God is not just the God of our faith, the God who we believe in, but rather God who is ours, who is part and parcel of our reality. This is a unique gift that Hashem has offered to us that is unavailable to any other part of the entire spectrum of existence. The fact that Hashem enters our space, the fact that Hashem extends, so to speak, a hand to us and says, You can grab me. You can open a book of Torah and it will contain my wisdom, which will then become part of your thinking. You can do a mitzvah, which will be a physical action that has absolute, holy, infinite value this is something he has not made available to even the loftiest spiritual entity who has a vastly deeper experience and an understanding and appreciation of God than we do than we do but still cannot say Elokeinu our God still cannot say I have an opportunity to make Hashem part of me not just part of who I relate to pay homage to pray to praise That's the unique experience that we have as souls living in bodies. We have access to be able to make God the infinite ours personally.